0: This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. I'm... Extremely excited today to welcome my guest, Ilias Khan, who's the CEO of Quintinuum. Uh, Ilias is the founder of Cambridge Quantum Computing and now the CEO of Continuum, a company created as a result of a merger between Cambridge Quantum Computing and Honeywell Quantum Solutions. Ilias is also the founding chairman of the Stephen Hawking Foundation and is a leader in residence at the University of Cambridge's Judge Business School, where he's a fellow in management practice. He's also a fellow at St. Edmund's College, Cambridge. Ilias is a published author and a frequent speaker and lecturer on topics related to category theory and quantum computing. Outside of quantum computing, Ilias is an active and avid collector of books with a particular interest in scientific papers and also the works of Henry James, Lawrence Durrell, and Hans Urs von Balthasar. His company, Cambridge Quantum, was founded in 2014 as a quantum computing software and algorithms company designed to let customers get the most out of quantum computers and then make them useful, both now and in the future. As I mentioned, in 2021, Cambridge Quantum merged with Honeywell Quantum Solutions and is still privately owned. The new company, Continuum, is owned by some of the world's leading quantum computing partners with strong domain expertise, including Honeywell, IBM, and JSR Corp. Continuum has a strong and unique scientific grounding with a team of over 400 that includes more than 300 scientists, of which over 150 are PhD holders. So welcome, Ilias. Thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Uh, Yes, thank you. And uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon um, to everybody who's listening in. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I always like to start the podcast
1: by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective is twofold, certainly to give our audience a sense of what you did before you founded Cambridge Quantum and now the creation of Continuum, but also to orient our audience to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could please share with our listeners a little bit about your background and paths so far, like where you grew up where you went to school and what you studied, uh, insight into any other organizations where you work, speak, or teach?
0: Well, thank you. I mean, like many people um, who are getting involved in quantum, either from the entrepreneurial side or the scientific side, there were many different um, uh, circumstances that led to that first instance, you know, the sort of the, uh, the eureka moment. And in my case, the immediate jumping off point was that i was very privileged to be the chairman of the stephen hawking foundation and Mm. stephen in fact was a friend Uh, sadly no more with us as uh, as we all know he passed away a couple of years ago and i was in cambridge and i got to know stephen um and ultimately actually i think got to know him fairly well um and it was his work and the work of people around him that really opened my eyes to the, should we say, the quantum world rather than quantum information theory particularly. Wow. And it was a comment um, that occurred, I think, in late 2013 that led me to the belief that over the period of the next 10 years or so, quantum computing would be a reality. And one of the things um, that your listeners might not be aware of, but given the wonders of the Internet, there is in fact a, um, a YouTube video of a debate that was held at the Cambridge Union. Uh, which is a, uh, an institution all of its own, and uh, probably a separate podcast on that topic, if ever you get there. <laughs> okay. But the Cambridge Union was packed. Um, I think there were 600 people there. There were mm. four or five Nobel laureates um, in the audience, uh, including Stephen. Oh, my. And uh, the motion was that quantum computers will not have any meaningful impact during our lifetimes. And I opposed the motion. I said that uh, they would have an impact. And I was seconded and supported by the wonderful Aram Harrow from MIT. And uh, funnily enough, um, I was opposed by someone who is now the CEO of a quantum computing company, Jeremy O'Brien, who is... (laughs) Right. The founder of Quantum. Right. Um, so it just goes to show that uh, we all have weird and wonderful uh, journeys. It was a lot of fun at the time, and that uh, particular um, uh, debate is actually online, Chris.
1: Oh, I have to point our, our listeners to that. Fascinating. Wow. A conversation with Stephen
0: Hawking. My goodness. <laughs> really is that pretty inspiring. Well, he had, the, he, he, had he, he did have a mind that the si- that is the size of a planet, or, or perhaps a, maybe not even a planet, but a solar system. Um, yeah. Still the most inspiring person I think I've ever met. Yeah, fascinating.
1: So in preparing for our session, I found a quote. This, is, I think, was on the Cambridge Quantum website that said, science for humanity is at Cambridge Quantum's core. I really like that as a position statement. So that said, tell me, you know, what was the vision that drove you to start Cambridge Quantum? Was there an epiphany or compelling event, maybe a light bulb moment in a coffee shop or a lab or perhaps a pub? It
0: it, it was the event with Stephen. Uh, I mean, Stephen basically said, this is for real. You should make a company. There's a lot of skepticism. There There was a lot of skepticism, a great deal more skepticism than there is today. I'm now not talking about this stupid conversation about hype. It is an irrelevant conversation. When people talk about hype, I ask them whether it's relevant to our life today, what the weather is on Mars. I mean, nobody gives a toss, and it's really a false (laughs) waste of time. But there is a bigger conversation Um, of relevance about quantum computers, which is, is it in fact possible to engineer a processor that can manipulate qubits and then measure them so that quantum information theoretic processes can lead to a shifting of what is and is not possible computationally? Hmm. And you can summarize that, Chris, by saying, is it possible for us to tap into nature using the physicality of qubits and benefiting from the laws of quantum mechanics where logic obviously is very different from the logic that governs classical machines. And the answer to that was always the answer around the physical challenges of engineering these devices. These are highly, highly complex. And at some point in about 2013 and 14, enough people started to demonstrate that it was now an engineering challenge. Now, there are still today, um, in 2022, eight years later, people who steadfastly believe that it is never going to be possible. But I think the informed consensus now is that, in fact, we are on a track. So if you like, the epiphany moment or the turning point or the tipping point for me in late 2013 was that this was an engineering challenge that would be accomplished And I wanted to create an uh, an operating system company, an algorithm company, an application company that could take advantage of these engineered devices and could really make a difference. Now, the second part of the answer um, is a little bit more involved. So I'll just give you the teaser part. And if you are not interested in going down that (laughs) route, then we don't have to. Um, You know, I think... My generation was asleep at the wheel um, for two technology revolutions the internet and mobile network, telephony and data. Okay, and we're paying the price of that. You know, there's a reason why, in a world of eight billion people, seven billion or so are still not vaccinated, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The huge disparity in wealth, the fact that AI can be pernicious and dangerous. You know, there's this story doing the rounds at the moment of somebody speaking to one of these either alexa or siri and saying give me a challenge and alexa saying yeah go and stick your finger in an electricity outlet you know so how do we make uh, and and there are other things that are even worse Um, yeah as as we are aware our, our children pay the price And I'm determined, I was determined then, and I'm determined now, and people who work at Cambridge Quantum are determined not to build this company simply to make money. We want to make a difference. We think quantum computers will um, be the biggest impact on humanity since the Industrial Revolution, and including the original Industrial Revolution. And it's it's an ability for us to reset. So things that matter for all of humanity should matter to us. And these are high-sounding words, and the question is, how do you implement them? So that was the second motivation.
1: No, very exciting. And I agree. I mean, I've heard, I've heard it cast as this is the most remarkable
0: technology humans have ever created yes yeah. right? I, i'm in that camp i'm de- yeah. i'm now i'm now definitely in that camp and there's yeah. no reason for us to be concerned about using language like that mm-hmm. because what we're not doing is saying anything other than a conviction and we're not um you know in a position where people are trying to convert that conviction into some trick or gimmick I mean, the world around us, I'm afraid, is full of many examples of where that does happen. But I think with quantum computing, uh, and you know this, this is geopolitical nation-states from China all the way through to, well, you name it, there's there's very few nation states that don't have a national quantum program. Right. The advisors involved are their eyes wide open. Large corporations are involved. You cannot, you know, pull the wool over the eyes of these people. They are absolutely acute in their vision. I agree.
1: So let's get right into it. And the segue is, you know, talk about continuum the newly formed company that combines Honeywell Quantum Solutions and Cambridge Quantum. Uh, an article in Barrons described the merger this way, and I'm paraphrasing. These two have formed the Apple of the quantum computing world in that Apple makes hardware, operating systems, and software applications, basically becoming an integrated solutions provider. So can you share more detail on certainly what drove this merger process and now what the exciting implications are for this kind of partnership as well as maybe implications for the challenges that this merger faces.
0: Oh uh, gosh you <laughs> you don't ask small questions do you. Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's almost I mean I'm speaking to you today on uh, almost the first anniversary Uh, to the day of a telephone call that I got from the chairman of Honeywell, Darius, Mm -hmm. who suggested that the company that they owned at the time, Holy, which was Honeywell Quantum, should merge with Cambridge Quantum. And the story didn't really start there. We knew Honeywell very, very well. Even at that point, I think we were the most um, frequent user. And the most knowledgeable user of the device, huh. and they were the most knowledgeable recipients of the magic of something called Ticket. I'll come back to Ticket in a moment. Yes. Now, the 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 merger itself, um, you're right, is very exciting, and um, you know, I'll just give you two or three quick checkpoints that I think would address um, your question. Okay. I think one of the great things where the comparison with Apple is very apt is not just the integration, but the vision that the generation of users that lie ahead of us are currently either at university or will be coming to university soon. So we have developed something called Ticket, and I have no shame in saying that it is the single most advanced software development toolkit around. It is entirely open source, yeah, and it is focused on effectiveness. You know, it, it does things, and it does them well. So it will be platform-neutral forever. It is platform-neutral today. It doesn't matter whether the back end is a computer, a quantum computer, that's built in Finland or in England or in Japan or America whether it's a superconductor, or a trapped ion, or a photonics device, or a neutral atoms device. And it mm. focuses on converting circuits into a routing through the architecture, which allows things to be quicker than they otherwise would be. So we work with native languages, such as Kiskit, And that is very much aimed at um, developers. And Christopher, I don't know if you know this, but today we have over 200,000 users of Ticket all over the world. Wow. It's amazing. And I remember, I'm old enough to remember following the journey that Apple took. I wasn't as aware of it then as I am now. And I think they did a really good job of making sure that academic institutions and research organizations had access to the technology that they were developing And we inadvertently, we didn't do this on purpose, but inadvertently have gone Uh down the same route. Now, that's not something that Barons picked up on because they weren't aware of it. Right. But Ticket is the beating heart of our uh, mission. And if your um, listeners haven't yet uh, encountered it, it's very easy to download from GitHub. And it's a global community of people who are focused on making sure that the experience is the best there's no commercial angle. It really is the best way to develop software because that is what will happen over the next five or ten years. Yeah, people that you know, people that you and I have never heard of, will emerge as the developers of tomorrow, and we're giving them that toolkit. So that's an Apple analogy that I think is very, very relevant. The more technical analogy that Barron's picked up on is flattering, but 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 accurate. You know, we. Uh, cover the waterfront. Yeah, I'm not sure of any other company that covers the waterfront. There are some magnificent companies that do some things very well. We do everything very well that matters. We have the quantum processor. We have the control systems. This is something that Honeywell was natively very good at, even yeah. prior to quantum. We have the what I would like to call the middleware. Some people like to call it the operating system. And then, obviously, we have the applications on top, so the integration is is comparable. Also, I want to ask you to speak about the
1: software library Lambek, right, which is tied to enabling design and implementation of uh, and end QNLP, uh, and which integrates with Ticket. So, maybe tell us a little bit about that. And also, you mentioned there are two hundred thousand uh, users. Can you tell us a little bit about how they're using it? You know, what applications or Verticals are problems they're applying.
0: Well, at, th- at this things. stage, you know, there are no problems that are being solved by quantum computers. Let, yeah. let, let's make that clear. Yeah. Yeah, let's make that clear. So we are not one of those companies that is trying to suggest that a quantum computer changes your world today right. or solves a problem that you have today. We have applied the quantum devices that we have to generate a classical Um, solution to cybersecurity that I'm sure you're going to ask me about later, but that's a bit different. Um, Look, on Ticket, um, we think that it is a mix of people who are working in large corporations and who find that Ticket gives them the portability they require so that anything they develop on Ticket is not dependent upon the back end of one particular computer. What you don't want to do And the lesson of the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the noughties is that you do not want to be dependent upon a particular machine because that device could become obsolete tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is a large proportion of our um, developer base, user base. Um, a, A large and growing proportion are, in fact, people at universities and research institutions and then I would say that a growing number of hardware companies, uh, I don't know if you know, but I think there are at least now between 150 to 200 companies and organizations mm-hmm. who have built or are building a quantum computer, Right. they all believe that their quantum computer is better than anybody else's. And for the vast majority of them, Ticket is manna from heaven. They can use Ticket in order to accelerate their commercialization, and they're not dependent upon any other source. So slowly but surely, quantum computing hardware companies are utilizing Ticket. I mean, big and small. We've had papers from Google who um, have uh, referenced their use of Ticket, all the way through to smaller hardware companies that have used Ticket as well.
1: Terrific. Ilias, I read recently that Continuum announced an agreement with IBM to expand the IBM Quantum Hub, providing clients with greater access to IBM's quantum computing systems, including their recently announced 127-qubit processor called Eagle, as well as allowing access to IBM's quantum expertise and Qiskit. Of course, the objective being to drive and develop the quantum ecosystem. Can you share information on current projects or how that relationship with IBM uh, is proceeding? Well, we have
0: uh, yes. We we th- 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 there are many aspects to this relationship, um, but I guess taking it from the top, IBM has invested in Quantinuum. so we we now have IBM as an investor alongside the existing investors that came to the merger, of whom the largest, of course, um, and are uh, still today the largest shareholder, which is Honeywell. Now, the scope of the um, arrangement with IBM is richer and deeper than merely an investment. IBM, as you know, has pioneered the development of an ecosystem potentially, I would even say, a global ecosystem that is unmatched because of what they did three years ago when they opened up the original five qubit device, which is free at the point of access to all researchers. Um, I think when the histories of quantum computing are written, that'll be a point that um, everybody recognizes as the you know the point at which things accelerated. In fact, Chris, many of the people that you are um, interviewing, I'm sure, will, uh, who've got startups, and the vast majority have occurred in the last three years, uh, would have taken that as a prompt. Now, we at Cambridge Quantum, um, which now of course is Continuum, but at the Cambridge Quantum level, we're at IBM Quantum Hub, and so we were already accessing IBM's superconducting computers and this arrangement and deal with IBM expands that so that Continuum and our customers will benefit from that IBM Q-status. And then philosophically, um, we at Continuum are platform neutral. We believe that many types of computers, some that already exist and some that have yet to be even invented will have a role to play in solving some of the most important problems that humanity faces and this is therefore a validation and a concrete validation not just words of our commitment to being platform neutral the ibm computer is as valid an alternative and i should say the superconducting platform is just as valid an alternative for certain um, use cases as any other We ourselves have a quantum processor, which is the trapped iron device. It happens to be the most powerful um, device uh, as measured by quantum volume today. But it's early days and we don't have enough machine time to be able to offer that to clients. We are using that device to generate our application software. So we ourselves do not sell access to computers. That is not our business model. So I'm seeing,
1: you know, more and more conversations, to your point, about uh, rethinking or expanding perceptions to realize there's going to be, you know, heterogeneity. I mean, lots of different kinds of solutions. Uh, You know, there may be nitrogen vacancy next to uh, superconducting in a data center or in an HPC setting, that it's not going to be, you know, winner take all, right, that there are lots of ways to approach this.
0: Well, I think that's right. I mean, one has to be careful here and respectful. Um, If you are a company that has dedicated its life, short life or long life, to building a particular type of computer, you know, you might be a photonics company. Well, it wouldn't be very good for your investors to hear you tell the world that, well, you know, maybe we're not going to be the best. (laughs) I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But the reality is, That it is far 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 too early to pick a winning platform never mind a winning processor and we believe and that's why the philosophy of ticket is so important it is our job to make all of them be the best that they can be and the same goes for ibm's computer we want people to succeed and we want lots of people to be potential winners so the photonics guys the neutral atom guys you know they're all absolutely evangelical to the point they they start sounding like you know these cryptomaniacs when you if you if you if you suggest to them one of these crypto people that you know perhaps there's a different opinion they get personally offended so the same goes for these um, small hard uh, hardware companies in quantum and and and, and that's perfectly understandable So, I want to shift
1: gears and talk about sort of applicability, if you will. Um, Financial services, of course, is very often top of mind when we talk about the tremendous potential uh, application benefits of quantum computing. I read that in May last year, uh, a member of your team, Dr. Stephen Herbert, announced a new algorithm that demonstrated a considerable speed up in how. Monte Carlo predictions can be performed. These are the ones used by banks, asset managers, hedge funds, and financial planners to do things like option pricing, portfolio optimization, risk analysis. Can you update us on the status
0: of that work? I can. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Um, I, I just want to uh, make the obvious caveat that Steve's work um, is, you know, is, is obviously pioneering and is extremely well recognized globally now um, as a breakthrough. Um, towards a goal that will um, be, shall we say, optimization-oriented, and that could be used either in finance or logistics. We're focused on finance at the moment. And it's the critical part of, let's say, an overall engine. So think of it this way, um, Chris. If you had an engine and, and, and we gave you the best carburetors. If you know if the if, if that was then put in a car and it had no wheels, I mean it could rev it very fast, but you wouldn't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So it's an essential tool, an essential acceleration, but other things in parallel will need to move before it can be fully utilized. Now the story of the last twelve months, however, is that in fact those things are moving at a faster pace than we had imagined. We had thought that 2024, 2025 might be the point at which advantage could be gained by this breakthrough. So we're very excited by this. And we now have a number of partners that we're working with um, to make sure that we can actually test this on real data. But the most, I, the, the way I would look at this is that the, 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 the real application, which can be done on a quantum computer, which cannot be done anywhere else, is actually the way in which we can derive entropy, which can then be converted into some sort of a random randomness. Um, it could be ASCII keys or it could be digits or whatever, that in turn can then be used to uh, create cybersecurity keys that are non-deterministic and therefore literally unhackable. Now, my analogy right. of the car is the same. You uh, Cybersecurity is a is 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 really a, a very complicated construct, but the base layer is always the key. So if we can now have a key that is generated and which is non-deterministic, and therefore there's no algorithm to to, to solve, it suddenly changes the rules in cybersecurity. So that part of our business is the one where we do things today that cannot be done classically. Whereas the work that Stephen's doing, I think, is still not yet going to solve a real problem today. It is an important breakthrough. It's a critical breakthrough, but it doesn't solve problems today. So I want to get to your
1: take, Elias, on, based on where you sit, right? You're at the top of this uh, quite remarkable company. Um, and on the site, you list five main areas of focus. Want to get your esteemed perspective on you know, where you see traction, near-term, and maybe... Um, you know, broader van- benefit in the long term. And the five focus areas are cybersecurity, hardware, chemistry, machine learning, and quantum natural language processing. So where are you seeing from the portfolio, you know, adoption by clients, the addressable opportunity in the market, what's happening now? Well, let, let how, me, do you, how do you yeah, see so so let,
0: let, let me answer the question in a slight – I will answer that question directly as well. But let me say what one of the, the, the great changes – that we're living through at the moment, is that more and more global organizations are wanting to allocate budget to testing quantum solutions that they know full well are not gonna solve the problem now, but will solve the problem within a current budget process. Hmm. Many global organizations and governments, as you know, have budget, uh, budget cycles that are three years and five years. And they have convinced themselves that on a three, five, seven year basis, these problems will be solved by quantum computers. And therefore, that proof of concept is being supported with budget. That was not the case up until now. Previously, it was very haphazard and there were more consulting contracts than there were proof of concepts. So... In that context, what is happening is that large organizations want reliable partners, partners who are going to be there not just today, but tomorrow and 10 years from now. And we at Continuum, um, we're not only the most investable company in quantum because of our heritage and our depth and our diversity, but from a commercial standpoint, we're also a partner of choice. Now... That gives us a unique perspective in seeing globally which applications actually matter. So my answer to you will be not what I think matters, but what (laughs) empirically is being stated by um, clients. Yeah. And the listing, therefore, goes something like this. No question, cybersecurity front of mind. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, if we were to do a race, cybersecurity would win the race in the sense that its applicability is more obvious, more quickly. Still not today, still not 100% today, but that migration happens and we have a vision that at some point most keys will be non-deterministic or they will have some aspect of quantum proofness in them. And what we um, have done with Quantum Origin, that's the name of our project, is allow for quantum-resistant keys to be seeded with this source of entropy. That's the big breakthrough. Now, the second area, I am going to, and again, I, I stress this is not my opinion, this is what we're hearing from others, is that we think that it's going to be machine learning in terms of these um, vqe type approaches and we've pioneered something called filtered vqe that might actually give us quantum advantage at scale and it might even be possible to do that prior to this application of first principles modeling of new materials Neither of those is going to happen this year. I'd be shocked if it happens next year. So we're talking about a couple of years and possibly even more. And a lot depends upon the progress of the quantum hardware that's coming through. If you look at what IBM have said, they believe that quantum advantage from their machines might be possible at some point at the end of 2023.
1: Hmm.
0: Then I would say the big, big shift in, you remember earlier we talked about impact on on humanity. Oh, by the way, the use case for those two areas could be in machine learning, anything from optimization and logistics all the way through to drug discovery as well. Yeah, and of course mm. in material science, it's carbon sequestration, it's photovoltaics, it's all the stuff that people have written about, including pharma. And that, that that's why pharma companies and hydrochemical companies, or I should say petrochemical companies and battery makers are at the forefront of this discovery process. But the thing that I think changes humanity is when we change the basis of AI. AI today, these huge neural networks that are driven by vast oceans, vast galaxies of data, are opaque and not accountable. And we, we humanity need to change that. I mean, there's a lot of progress that's been made. Nobody's denying that progress has been made. And we believe at Cambridge Quantum that quantum computers allow us to change and hit reset. And our big project that is the um, exemplar of that change is natural language processing. If computers can get good at language processing, not just of individual words and phrases, But conversations such as the one that you and I are having now, at that point, AI will no longer be artificial and opaque. It'll be transparent, it'll be accountable, and we believe natural language, as we have proven, natural language process is quantum native in the sense that the solutions reside in Hilbert space by the exploitation of Hilbert space. That is our big project. And that changes the world. And that's why, if there are comparisons, of course, with uh, Apple, you could say that that aspiration is one that we share. Now, of course, none of us is, uh, when I say us, I mean in the quantum computing industry, none of us at the moment would dare to imagine that this will happen next year, the year after, or even the year after. This will require fault-tolerant devices And the earliest that we see these things coming on board is probably five or six years from now. But unless you start now, you won't get there. And we've been around for eight years. And we see that the tipping point is closer to us now than was our inception in 2014.
1: Ilias, as a bit of a sidebar, but since I'm a former professional musician, I was intrigued by your support of Kipu Quantum, uh, which is the pioneer in quantum art. I read that you and Bob Cooker were involved in what's called the first international symposium on quantum computing and musical creativity, which took place last year. Please share with me how you came to be involved in this organization. I've actually since. Yes, um just saying I have Eduardo Miranda's
0: book here. Right, who was right, involved right. In,
1: in that project, right?
0: Well, well, Edward, yeah. So he's more than involved. I mean, he's yeah, more than, than involved. Yeah. yeah, no, I think so. Um, there are many people interested in this area, but there's no question that Bob Kuka is, you know, he owns the space. You know, he this is his space, and and of course this will um, diversify in due course. But the the the, the space I'm talking about is compositional intelligence, and it is the use of quantum computers. Um, to be able to um, advocate and interpret and be useful in language. And, of course, music is a language. There's a grammar to music. And the application of quantum computers that is musical as opposed to speech and language is just one step removed. And it is our software and it is Ticket, I remember I talked to you earlier about democratizing the use of quantum computers. Yeah. It is the platform and many companies and, and, you know, Kipu is just one. In fact, it it is not even the leader in this. As you know, there are other people very much more advanced um, in this and Eduardo's group is one of them. Uh, There are academic groups as well as corporate groups. Um, but we are the platform providers, we are the technology providers, and then smart people can use that for whatever they want. It just so happens that the two areas that we as a firm are interested in happen to be natural language processing for human speech, and natural language processing for um, biological um, grammar, so DNA and RNA. The music um application is something that we're very fond of and it's a lot of fun but it's not commercial
1: very exciting actually i talked to him about maybe doing a concert in new york at some point in the spring or summer (laughs) which would be fantastic i'd love to help produce that promote that
0: yeah you know it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun
1: yeah Ilias, i want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like continuum and finding talent i'm a passionate believer in of developing the quantum-ready workforce. I lead a panel typically at IQT when we do these events. And so I want to ask how you go about recruiting for your company. Are the universities you draw from, obviously Oxford and Cambridge, maybe LSE, Imperial College, are there international
0: Oh, well, no, I mean, we, we have more people in the United States than we have anywhere else. Um, you know, Continuum, if, if just to remind people, is the merger of Honeywell quantum solutions together with Cambridge Quantum and whether it's Stanford or Colorado or whether it's Maryland or Caltech um, they're just as if not more important and you know I want to there are two things that are really interesting here the first thing is if you do um, a little mapping of quantum computing and you look at how that relates to some of the other technologies that have um, come through in the last 30 or 40 years the one thing that you will notice is that This is the first technology that is not dominated by the United States since the Second World War. And the US, in fact, um, is just one of many countries where um, quantum computing could be said to be taking root. And um, an actual consequence of that is that you look at all the companies and the people that you're talking about, Silicon Valley doesn't figure at this stage, I mean, that is highly unusual. Yeah, The big VCs typically would have been all over this. And, and of course, they're now trying to play catch up. But um, this is as important in uh, the Cambridge network and in Munich, um, of course, Paris, London, as it is in Boston and, should we say, down sort of in the, the DC cluster. So it is extremely diverse and we, 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 we mustn't forget that. There is a talent issue because quantum information theory and quantum computing from the experimental standpoint was hardly commercially supported. Most of the funding was governmental. And for whatever reason, in the 80s, 90s and the noughties, very few American universities were offering that Um Know the PhD and the postgraduate level. In fact, I think Harvard just announced uh, that they're they're pioneering something. Right. I think it's a PhD. And I think that this is just a marker, it just reminds us that, um, you know, this is a global phenomenon. We are very lucky, we have very deep links, we've been funding um, research. And we typically are very light touch. People like working like um, Eduardo, but he's just one person. There's so many collaborations we have all over the world with academics. And we're very light touch. We're very respectful of them. And of course, we then gain credence because people use ticket. And they cut through the crap. They read about X facilitator and Y facilitator. And then they actually use ticket and they realize that it beats everything hands down and there are no yeah. conditions. You can use Ticket. You can do what you want with it. There are no holds barred. So things like that make it easier for us to compete. But it is a limited talent pool, very limited.
1: Elias, this has been a wonderful conversation. I always like to end my podcast by asking my guest to share their vision for where they think quantum computing might be, say, in three to five years. And more broadly, you've implied this, but I want, I want you to wax philosophic and Share, you know, what kind of impact do you think it will have more broadly on how we live and work in the years ahead?
0: Well, three to five years is... is Near term, I realize. Yeah, it's it's probably not going to be that uh, revolutionary uh, unless there's something that we're unaware of. No, look, I think that, you know, I I like what um, Google said last year, which is that by the end of the decade, um, and the end of the decade is not that far away, maybe 2029, 20, they, they they think that they'll have something that is fault-tolerant and scalable. And I think once those devices are available, the, the one thing that I look forward to is a solution to the question why rather than what in quantum mechanics. And the nature of reality, and ever since um, our distant ancestors started asking questions about the nature of reality, You know, it wasn't until the early part of the 20th century that the postulates of quantum mechanics became known. So we know the what, but we still don't know the why. Why is it that entanglement, non-locality occurs? Why is it that superposition has the impact that it does? So these sort of labels, entanglement and superposition and obviously interference and many others, the double-slit experiment, we all know that it happens, but we don't know the why. So for me, uh, I hope this is not too disappointing for you. I think the thing that I look forward to is a quantum computer allowing us to manipulate and understand and observe the nature of reality so that we can answer these questions, which will have a much bigger impact on humanity in 200 years' time. Nobody's going to care that a quantum computer helped us to generate a a particular cybersecurity key or maybe you know, create uh, an alloy that's better than another. But they will care if we save the planet and we, humanity, move into a different area of development um, as as, as humankind and our values change. So that's my vision. From a corporate and a business standpoint, what I will say is that at at that point, once we have quantum computers that are fault-tolerant and scalable, you'll have the foundations to imagine that some of the largest companies in the world will end up being quantum computing companies. So if you look back to the 60s and 70s and 80s and the big petroleum companies and organizations like, I don't know, Rank Xerox and uh, people in the food and, and and the tobacco industry and the railways and the banks were the biggest you know, then you had the tech companies. And today, of course, you have Microsoft and Apple. Well, you know, looking forward, what are the entities that will be, you know, the trillion or more dollar or multi-trillion dollar companies? Well, the likelihood is at that point in time that they will be quantum computing companies. Fantastic. Ilyas, thank you so much for that insight. Inspiring, for sure.
1: I really enjoyed our conversation. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Point listeners to your website, it's quantinuum.com. There's a Cambridge CQC Twitter handle as well, and there's some quantum talks on YouTube. So thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you and look forward to continuing our conversation.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks again, Ilias, for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Ilias. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, and please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology.
0: You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating
1: to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.